There's so, a lot of mug shots here, yeah, so yeah. I'm glad you got a good one. Yeah, yeah, Thank cool. you. So Chris is here from Pioneers uh, Missions New Zealand, and you're going to tell us a little bit about that, but mm -hmm. tell us about you. I mean, who are you? Where'd you come from? Uh, I open my mouth and people say, oh, he's not a Kiwi. Right. Uh, you are dead right, I am an Aussie. Uh, but I haven't lived in Australia, if this counts for anything, for many years. Um, we uh, served, my wife and four children and I, we served in church planting in Eastern Europe, in Poland, for nine and a half years. And then we had a bit of a transition of where is the Lord leading us next, and that was to your beautiful country. And uh, man, I'm here this morning and reminded in uh, glorious colour yep. that... Uh, you're in a nice spot, so you're very fortunate. Well, welcome to our nice spot. Great to have you with us. Is there anything of interest, like hobbies or activities or oh, stuff you like to do with family? That question always gets in pretty deep. Um, I, I'm a pretty busy guy. I do struggle to fit in hobbies, but sure. some of the things I do enjoy is uh, I like fishing. Yep. Haven't done it for a while, but I do enjoy fishing. Helps me unwind. And um, this is very mundane, but I really enjoy jigsaw puzzles because it helps me just go into a small world where there's defined things to work out and it's a nice result in the end. Right, well, that is true. And it's also a sign of intense intelligence. I don't know if you know that or not. I did not know that, but I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah I'll own it. I don't do jigsaw puzzles. So. <laughs> All right, well, go. welcome, Chris. Uh, I'm going to pray for you and you. um, you're going to share with us. So Thanks. God, thanks for this morning already and just the chance to remember you, to, to, to turn that back, to honour you and to worship you. And we're here this morning because we want to know more about you and to live for you. Mm. And as Chris shares, we just pray um, his message will be encouraging, be challenging, it'll stretch us, it'll expand our horizons and ultimately help us see your hand at work in your world for your purposes and your glory. Mm. In your name, amen. Amen. Cool. Thank you, Craig. Uh, yeah, it is a real privilege to be here. A lot of you probably don't realise that I have sidled in up the back one Sunday a couple of years ago, maybe a few years ago now. We've got to allow for COVID in there. So it's not my first time at ABC, but it is wonderful to be back. And every time I come in, I look at that fireplace and I think, oh, this must be a great place in winter. Just It looks like a lounge room. So uh, I hope you all get the benefit of that on a regular basis in the cold weather. Um, I unashamedly love Jesus very, very much. He is so dear to me. And I love global mission. Why? Because that's actually his activity. It's Jesus at work. And I love the fact that global mission has been offered to everyone to participate in, in one way, shape or form, not just for the purpose of being active and doing things for God's kingdom, but actually to be close to Jesus himself. And that really lies at the heart of Pioneers New Zealand. I'm going to see if I can click. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Pioneers New Zealand. We are just one of uh, several New Zealand mission agencies. And the beauty of coming and being the director of an agency in New Zealand, it happens in other countries too, but something I love is the ecumenical cooperation and support between the mission agencies. We all love each other dearly, we help each other, we know each other well, we share burdens and share joys. Um, so we are just one of many, but let me tell you about our little part of what is going on. So we are an international uh, mission agency. Often people might have heard of Pioneers New Zealand, but don't realise that it's a part of Pioneers International. And uh, what does international look like? Well, just one example of how we can show you that is where currently uh, Pioneers is mobilising from, sending missionaries out from into the world, let alone where they're going to. Um, if I click this one, you can see some stars, and they are our mobilisation bases. So there's Pioneers New Zealand, Pioneers Australia, Pioneers Canada, Pioneers US, Pioneers UK. Then you can see a star in Southeast Asia. That's Pioneers Asia, and their base is in Singapore. And we have Pioneers Africa, which is based in Ghana, where my colleague and I, Susanna Pearl, who's sitting up the back there, we were just there three weeks ago and had great delight in seeing all that God's doing over there. But that's just fully-fledged bases, and you can see a lot of probably mission history there. Uh, they've been around a while. But if I click this one, this is the exciting thing that God's doing in the world, is the dots are pioneers' offices. These are fledgling bases. 
They are newer on the scene, but they have come into being because God is stirring the church in these places. And they're in locations like Mexico, Peru, Brazil, Dominican Republic, Hong Kong. Our Hong Kong base, they've got 45 workers that they're sending out, and the majority of those are from Mongolia. The Mongolian church didn't even exist 25 years ago, and yet now they're on fire and sending out workers into the mission field. We also have Pioneers Europe. We've got East Africa and Kenya, Egypt, and the story continues to grow. We've got other places that are asking us, can we start an office here? Because the church is being stirred. We hear wonderful stories. Just last week, we had some video footage through from Peru, where our office director there had organized a, a boat trip on a big boat up into the Amazon jungle, up the Amazon River. And he had invited 40 Peruvian pastors to come on board so that they could literally see face to face on the riverbanks the unreached peoples of the Amazon and stir up their mission passion for their own nation. God is doing amazing things around the world. Our international office until recently, that big red star, you might notice it, but it's in the middle there in Thailand. We had an international office that was physically located there, but that has just very recently gone fully virtual. And we've got even more staff involved in our international office because it's now uh, able to, uh, people are able to participate from all over the world. So that's the mobilization story, which definitely starts to show God's activity in calling pioneers to be more and more a global mobilization agency. So we're international. We're also interdenominational. We uh, are not affiliated with a particular denomination. Uh, we love the Baptists, just like all the others. Um, so it is a, uh, lovely to come and visit all sorts of churches and to see what God's doing across the board. And provided that people love Jesus, love the gospel, hold dear to the word, and are going to preach what we know is life-giving truth that comes through Jesus Christ, we are very interested to help facilitate those people obey the call of God on their lives. We have many dear things to us. We focus on unreached people groups. Exclusively, no. But we are very interested where people have not heard about Jesus. And I'm sure others have shared with you on occasion that sadly, there are still many corners of the world and many people groups and many languages where Jesus is not being declared. We're interested in that and seeing if we, under God's sovereignty, can be a part of meeting that need. Unreached people groups come from all over the world. Church planting is something that we are without apology. We are a church planting mission. Now, we do not stick to one model with church planting. Because if we're going to reach unreached people groups around the world, churches are going to look very different in various places. And church planting is going to look different in various places. And so we will happily mobilize the doctors, the nurses, the engineers, the agriculturalists, the surfers, the, uh, the IT specialists, anybody who has a heart to see God's kingdom growing. And they will use their skills in the act of church planting. And it can look very, very wide and varied. And it's pretty exciting stuff to witness. So I think I've got some pictures of what various churches are looking like around the world. No, I skipped them all out to save time. There you go. Innovation and creativity is something that's very dear to us. We often have to think, how can we be with people and share our lives with them? And sometimes we have to think outside the box of how that's going to look. People bringing their various skills to bear and their passions to bear enables us to often allow them to be in places around the world that they otherwise could not be. Also, when we strike all sorts of challenges, we thrive on adaptability. Just because one way was working yesterday doesn't mean it will work the same tomorrow. And we have great joy in working together as a very big family in doing a lot of problem solving under God's leading as to how we can continue to share the gospel. There's some ideas of some of the things that we do. That's certainly not the full gamut. And we are passionate about local church. You think, what are you talking about with local church? Where we're going? Absolutely. If God is already at work in a place, and let me assure you that almost every time he is in some way, shape or form, but if there is believers in a place, we would like to come in alongside them and support them. They are going to be the ones that best understand what an indigenous church expression looks like. 
And we want to empower them and help them and support them to bring that into full realisation. But we also... Let me get my clicking going. So these are the sorts of churches that I'm talking about there. But we're also just equally passionate about local church New Zealand. Why? Well, traditionally, perhaps, this was the thinking that people had of interaction between local churches around the world. That there was the gift that God had given us in New Zealand of a knowledge of the gospel and intimate relationship with him and his various expressions. And we had something that had affected our lives personally through Jesus. And we wanted to go out and share what we had. But the realisation is, we do not have full gospel expression in New Zealand. Do we fully, any of us, understand the magnificence of the gospel and how it actually manifests itself in transformation around the world? We do not. Dare I say, local church New Zealand needs local church world. It needs to flow the other way. Because God is doing incredible things around the world that will have you picking your jaw up off the floor. The way he is working, the way he is speaking through visions and dreams, the way people are being healed of all sorts of things, God is still, I can assure you, a God of incredible miracles. And he is a God of intimacy. And he is a God of passion and power and provision. And sometimes what he's doing in other places, you need to hear about and to remember that this is true of their God, yes, but of your God, because he's the same God. So we want to see local churches here stepping into the story in whatever manner. The individuals, each one of you, stepping into the story. Why? Because we need you. God doesn't need any of us in his story. But because it is a magnificent story where his heart is actually to transform you and I. Isn't that amazing? So that's the heart of pioneers. We have other things that we try to uh, value, but in a nutshell, we've got eight core values, and here's four of them. The other ones are a passion for God. Teaming, we never send anyone out alone. We always want to have people working in teams for all sorts of reasons. We have servant leadership, and we have an ethos of grace. And these are things that we stand firm on. We've got all sorts of innovation and flexibility going on. We're trying to always understand God's leading and call, but we will stand on those eight. They will not flex because we believe that they are central to the call of God. One God, one world, and one global mission story. And what's God's heart? We passionately believe that it's to help everyone to step into that story. Because it's a great story. Don't worry, I'm preaching on exactly the same thing, so you're going to get some more. <laughs> I love talking about pioneers. I find it an incredible privilege to be in the role I am, to come and be with people just like you, week after week after week, because you've all got stories too that are part of the big story. God's been at work in your lives. And I love sitting with people and hearing all those little bits of what God's up to. But more than all of that, I love this. This is power and transformation. So, without further ado, I would like to get you to turn with me. And Joel's going to take over clicking now. Tag. Um, I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 8. This is the passage that we're just going to spend a little bit of time pondering about that activity of God and how he seems to work and how that potentially is going to connect with our life and our reality. Look, not today. If you want, think about tomorrow, Monday morning, heading off to work or going to do various tasks that are to be done. But my heart is that Monday might be just that little bit different for you because of something that God might say to you today. So Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start... You know what? It's hilarious. I do better on the screen these days. I need to get a bigger font Bible. So, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Let's read. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a cool story. Um, your Bible is full of wonderful accounts, and this is no exception. So Lord, we come, and we already sense the missional heart in this passage, but Lord, we want to humble ourselves for a moment. We want to be still. I want to be still. And Lord, I would ask that you speak clearly to us today. We really want to grow in our missional heart, Lord Jesus. So would you use this opportunity as we, at this allotted time, come around your word to hear what you have to speak to us. We commit ourselves and our time to you. Amen. Well, I want to start with a question for you. And I'm sure the answer is yes, but the question is, have you ever received a really amazing, phenomenal invitation of some sort in your life? Might have been to an event... Uh, something that you'd always wanted to go to or a place that you'd always wanted to go to. Um, maybe an overseas trip, something like that. Eiffel Tower, London Bridge, Statue of Liberty. It could have been amazing because the invitation was actually who you were invited to spend time with. It wasn't about place or anything. It was that, oh, I want to hang with that person. That's going to be special. My wife and I, we received a really cool invitation many, many years ago. Um, through various weird circumstances, I'd met a fellow and he was a professional tennis player on the professional circuit. He was an Australian, of course. I was in Australia at the time. Um, his name was Andy. And Andy was a doubles player. And uh, Andy and I just got on like a house on fire. We, we were fast friends. Beautiful, heart, genteel guy. Um, but Andy, during the time I knew him, he actually got engaged. And uh, that was a really joyous occasion. And Judy and I ended up receiving an invitation to his wedding. Um, it ended up being a really curious occasion for us. Uh, I, I guess you could say we were the only paupers. <laughs> um, we were the only uh, normal people. We were in uh, a very fancy location with tennis royalty from uh, Australia and the world. Um, I had, uh, I don't know if you know names from the past, but Pat Rafter and Pat Cash and Leighton Hewitt were all 
just dotted around us and uh, John Fitzgerald from, you know, an earlier generation and all these amazing people that I'd only ever seen on television and interviews and playing on the courts. And uh, it was odd. We've definitely felt out of place, but it was certainly a very, very memorable occasion. I'm sure you've got your versions of Amazing Invitations, um, but you know where I'm going, for sure. Because the most amazing invitation, actually, that as Christian believers, you and I have ever received, is an invitation from Jesus Christ, not just to have our sins forgiven, praise God for the cross, but to step into a new life because of an empty grave. To be indwelt by Jesus' spirit himself in our being. To become a temple of the living God and be invited in that role to participate in a grand, grand narrative that God is unfolding around us in this world. What an invitation However, I certainly have experience with dodging that invitation. Of actually hearing it and knowing about it, and yet, for various reasons in my life, maybe disqualifying myself from it, or just not actually taking the invitation forward. Now, of course, many, many years later... I can say I have accepted that invitation and I've been walking in it for some time. But there's still parts of me, there's still communication that God has with me in my life, asking me to participate in his story in various ways, which I balk at. And some of those various reasons why we would do that. Sometimes it's that we're afraid of what that might mean for us in terms of we've got a lot of precious things in our lives or places that we like, things we enjoy... What would it mean to actually say yes to the invitation of God for me practically? What's things going to look like? Yet, dare I say, perhaps the most common reason that I find in my own heart and in conversations with others is that people feel that they are underqualified for the task. They look at other people doing things and they think, I could never do that. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. I don't know the gospel well enough. I'm not even sure of my own faith. Fear of inadequacy riddles our lives. And the things that God often asks us to step into, we feel that we just don't simply have what it takes. The energy, the time, the abilities, the experience... Well, I've got some good news. I'm going to start quickly. That's where we're at. Here's the good news for you. The invitation of God is not, never has been, and never will be dependent upon yours and my ability. Okay. Is it dependent upon anything? Yes. And we're going there. But I think this is a great message of comfort. If God is asking you to do something in your life, if he's inviting you to step into some sort of chapter of a journey with him in his big story, your ability is not the decisive factor. Well, what is? This passage today, I think, shows us three really important factors that are a part of the journey And let's have a look at those quickly. The first one is availability. Availability. And that starts with a willingness to hear what God is asking us to do and then responding to it. Well, that sounds pretty simple. Yeah, it is. Let's look at the passage. Because what did God say to Philip through the angel? It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go. There were some extra instructions, but rise and go is the guts of it. And then we find 
What does it say he did in verse 27? He rose and went. Hmm, okay, let's ponder that for a minute. Rise and go. So he rose and went. Is it that simple? Well, no, it's not. Rise and go, you do it. Okay, let's say God asks us to go down the road or we feel he's compelling us to have a chat with somebody. Okay, that makes sense. We can see. But here's the thing. In the plan of God, what happens when the call of God actually doesn't make sense to us? Let's look at Philip's situation for a moment. Did it make sense? Well, no, on a couple of accounts. Let's look at the timing of Philip's call here. We read in the verses surrounding that Philip was actually in the middle of an incredibly fruitful season of ministry. He had gone and he had preached down in the region of Samaria. And, you know, it had been on fire. Thousands of people had been coming and hearing the message. People were being baptized. The, the chapter 7 and earlier in chapter 8, it tells us that Philip was being used incredibly powerfully, moving from city to city to city, declaring the good news of Jesus, and people were responding en masse. It's funny it's, it's a, that it's in the middle of the business. It's in the middle of, of seeming fruitfulness. It's in the middle of one of the best seasons of your life that suddenly God asks you to do something completely different. In my experience, God's call is never when there's nothing happening. Rather, it's when things are firing on all cylinders. God is not interested in people that think, I've got nothing better to do. No. He is often speaking to people that are already engaged, already have heart flowing, are already active in, in doing ministry, and we could, let's drop the, the, the official of ministry, just sharing life with people and working that new job or, or they've just bought the house and, and they're setting it up because their kids needed some extra space. Or there's good things happening, legitimate things happening, and yet it's right then that God asks you to do something? It's a real challenge for us. It's not necessarily when all the factors are going to line up perfectly. In fact, let me assure you, it rarely happens. Okay, if timing can be a challenge, what about location? Well, Acts is an interesting book in that it actually shows how the early church grew in a manner that was basically an urban sharing of the gospel. It was major centres. Why? Because that's where the people were, right? It's where there were clusters. It's where more people would hear. You get bang for your buck, if you like, if you're going to be sharing the gospel. And it had been going so well. And yet it's in the middle of that that Philip is called to go to where? A desert place. A desert place. You know what happens in deserts? There's nobody there. People don't hang out there. Do you think that was a bit odd to hear? With all that's going on in his ministry, all that's happening in his life, and you're asked to go to the middle of the desert. And here's the thing. There are lots of places, I guarantee, as you start to listen to God, there are lots of places that God's going to ask you and I to go, which might not be very populated, they might not be very glamorous, they might not be very well connected, there just seems to probably not be much seemingly going on at all. There's not much hope of what we would say is effective ministry. But we see in this account with Philip that even though, even though this call seems so illogical in terms of time and location, God knew what he was doing. 
He knew who was going to be in that place and when he was going to be there. And he knew that that person was going to be, guess what? Ready to hear the gospel. Availability. Availability is so important in listening to the call of God and expect it to have the wild elements. Availability is one. Humility is the second element that's so important. Humility. Let's have a look. Why do we say humility is important and where can we see humility being exercised in the story of Philip? Well, the first thing we want to take notice of is that God's mission doesn't ever begin with us. I love this, that God has always been at work in a place or a life or a location well before you or I ever arrive. Paul encountered this. Do you remember he walked into Athens and he came up to this altar? And it was the altar, an altar to the unknown God. Because the people of Athens had this feeling that there was more than their deity, their, their pantheon of deities, was actually catering to. There were holes in their own belief system. And so they thought, well, yeah, we're just going to set an altar up because there's this conviction and feeling within us. Who do you think is responsible for that feeling and conviction? God. And it meant that at that time they were ready to start engaging in the Areopagus and talking about who is this God. God's work does not start when we arrive. And it was certainly the case for Philip because he encountered a guy that was in a chariot originally from Ethiopia. Just roll this around. He'd been to Jerusalem and he had in his hand the scroll of, of Isaiah... And he's reading it. That's pretty random. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That in the middle of a desert, there's an Ethiopian. So let's go back to Ethiopia months before. What had actually happened in Ethiopia to have that guy head to Jerusalem to worship? God. What had happened in Jerusalem and who had he met and what conversations had he had and who had he convinced to actually give him the scroll of Isaiah? God. And what had compelled him in the chariot to sit down en route back to his hometown to bother opening it up and to be reading and deeply pondering, what on earth does this mean? God. It did not start with Philip. And God has a habit of doing this every single time. Why? Because he's sovereign. And he's the one that's unfolding the story. The second reason we can't assume to know who God's calling. We would like to think we know who he's calling. We have sometimes assumptions, whether we admit it or not, about the types of people that he would probably call to be a part of the kingdom. But God blows those misconceptions apart all the time. What about this individual? This story, whether we like it or not, whether it's comfortable or not, tosses up issues of race, sexuality, and socioeconomic status. And it's a bit of a surprise package on every single one. And there is an incredible challenge to us as individual believers and as the church of God today as we engage with our community, whether that be in Morocco, Mongolia, or here in Alex, don't assume to know whom God is calling into the family. Because I guarantee you, we do not know. We do not know what work is going on in the heart. And I think that is magnificent. The third reason for humility, we don't understand everything about our part in the story. This is an interesting little account with Philip. He uh, joins a chariot 
And I'm just catching up on my notes. What role did he play? Well, in this instance, he'd been doing a lot of preaching and sharing, but in this instance, he became a travelling companion. It's uh, curious to see that actually Philip went up to the chariot and the, the story shows us that he actually climbed on board and the chariot kept going toward Ethiopia. I bet you he didn't expect that when he woke up that morning. And it headed down the road toward Ethiopia and he became a companion for the guy in the chariot. A travelling companion. What might God be calling us to play in terms of a role in somebody's life? Could be a neighbour, just a really good neighbour. Could be the person behind them in the supermarket line. It could be something as official as a teacher or a tutor or a counsellor, a boss, an employee. But while we might have some ideas that, well, I'm good at this and I'm good at that and this is what I naturally would tend to do and most of the time I do that, I think this story indicates that having an openness to the role that God would have us play in a life needs to be there. Because this wasn't necessarily Philip's forte. I don't know what sort of travelling companion he actually made. Maybe he talked all the time. Who knows? But it was the role he was called to play this day. We also don't know how long we're going to be involved. We have missionaries that we mobilise who head out and they think, I'm going for life. You know, if I could pack a coffin, I would. And yet, two years later, they're back in New Zealand. There can be all sorts of reasons why that happens, but I'm a great believer that if they're back in New Zealand, God knew that. He's sovereign. And it was two years. There are others who we send out and they say, I'm just going to give it six months. So just, a, just a bit of a taste and see a short term and they never come home. For Philip this day, it was a little while in the chariot and then it was done. What happened in the story? Well, Philip probably never ever found out. Our timing of how long we're to engage in various situations, may that always be under the sovereignty and the leading of our God because we don't know. We also need humility because we don't know what impact or significance we're going to have. You might just be required to say one thing. You might be required to say nothing at all and just be there. There are people I know that have shared that they were impacted by watching somebody and how they raised their children and that led them to Christ. Nothing was ever said. Other people basically shared a sermon. What impact or significance are we going to have? What stories are going to just plant a seed? that will come to fruition 10 years later? We don't know. We don't know. So we have all of these elements where we realise there's so much that we don't know as children of God. And when God calls us to participate in his story, it propels us into a place of deep humility before the throne, deep dependence on our God and his ability to dynamically be with us in an intimate relationship that he will indicate and that we will be able to respond in obedience and that he will be in charge of this story. We would love to be the catalyst. We would love to be the hero. We would love to be the one that makes the difference. But that is not always God's way. And for Philip, it was a pretty short little hit. There are stories of then what happened, maybe, as the Ethiopian took a fresh life in Christ back to Africa. Did it have a massive impact? We actually don't know. But Philip was available that day. Finally, flexibility. So we've had availability. That's really important. Humility. Oh, absolutely. And flexibility. We need to set aside a lot of our usuals when it comes to stepping into God's story with our whole heart. We can see something very interesting in verse 30 with Philip. It says, Philip was told to approach the chariot. And what does it say next? Philip ran to the chariot. Little things like that strike me a little bit in Scripture. Philip ran? Culturally, actually not appropriate at all. 
if Philip had been in the role of a teacher, for Philip, in his desire to obey the call of the Spirit, to run up to this official in a chariot was highly inappropriate. It was not done. But Philip had something that superseded social norm. It was Jesus' passion. He loved Jesus and he had just been engaged by the Spirit and asked to do something. And Philip wanted to do it with his whole heart. So, Philip ran. In my mission walk, I could not even begin to list how many things were my norms, my usuals, my standards that God has challenged me about and said, actually, for the sake of this call, I want you to set that aside. Our, all of our lives are built on these structures. We have been raised certain ways. There are certain things that we do even without thinking. But may God challenge us whenever and wherever necessary within our own being of being able to set aside those things for the sake of the gospel. Flexibility with even the things that we hold dear as part of ourselves and who we are. Flexibility, we need to be willing to change our plans. I've already mentioned this. Philip approached a chariot. I think it probably would have been okay for Philip to just have the conversation standing. But the fact that he hopped in and ended up heading... I mean, when Philip hopped in the chariot, do you think he knew when the journey would stop? Do you think he said, I'm going to give it five, see how we go with Isaiah? No. He climbed up, and if he ended up in Ethiopia, he ended up in Ethiopia. Okay? We need to be willing to change our plans. You talk to anybody that has been in formal ministry. Craig will tell you this. Craig, how often do you have to change your plans? We are plan-based people. We like our, our daily plan. We like our one-year plan. We like our five-year plans. We like our life plans. But in the economy of God, so often, he actually says, mm, we need to tweak. We need to tweak. Let me encourage you, though. God's tweaks are awesome. They can be really challenging and really difficult and really uncomfortable. Craig's nodding vigorously. But they are awesome. Why? Because they're kingdom-driven. Something's afoot. It's exciting stuff and you don't want to miss. Don't limit how the gospel can be shared. Uh, in a chariot, in the middle of a desert. That would not have been Philip's bread and butter. Uh, at Countdown just opened, didn't it? You know, if you're going to go and check out Countdown, you open to somebody in the aisle, somebody waiting to pay, the person who's uh, taking the cash or, or your card, the person in the coffee shop. To probably do a pre-baptismal course, uh, we generally try to make sure we have a heated facility because it can be uncomfortable in the cold. Um, and the list... Look! Here's water. What's to stop me being baptised? And they went down, stopped the chariot, hopped down the water and baptised the guy spiritual dynamic at play. Uh, I've got a friend, a dear friend. I mentioned surfing earlier. Did you hear the word surfing? Yeah, some of you did. One of my dear friends works with Pioneers. He's sent out from the Australian base. His ministry is surfing. He lives in Mexico on some of the world's top surf beaches. It's on the professional circuit. And he runs a church plant on the beach. His name's Mike. We grew up together. Mike and I did not know at the time when we were up to all sorts of mischief that we would both end up in the same mission agency doing things around the world. But you know what? How does that church conduct church? What does church look like? What's normal? How do they do communion? Oh, pizza and Coke. If that's what the day makes available. Uh, how do they sing songs? Oh, all, all, all manner of ways. Sometimes they'll go and splash in the surf and sing. It, it, it forms aren't necessary. 
because it's people entering into fellowship with Jesus Christ and worshipping and learning and growing together. Whatever resources are available, whether it be the surf, the pizza, the water by the side of the road, whatever it is, you are not, and I'm going to be contentious here, I think we're okay, Craig, you are not bound by the confines of this church to be actually sharing the gospel and leading people to Jesus Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what, some of the coolest stories happen out there. Flexibility. So what have we looked at? We've looked at availability. It's really important. Humility. You might feel, I'm, I'm, I'm a proud person. That's all right, God will sort you. He's really got that stuff, I can tell you from experience. And flexibility. Flexibility. None of us have got these things nailed. No. Are we super available? Probably not. Are, are, are we humble? Probably not. Are, are we flexible? Ooh, I'm rigid as anything. But in the hands of God, bringing yourself into the hands of God and saying, Lord, I know from your word that these are the things that lie at the heart of engaging in your story. Help me. You live in me. I know you've got the power to do this. Transform me. And it's not going to happen like that. It's going to be a journey. Take me on that, walk with me in it, empower and change me for your glory. And he is good to those prayers. Hold on though, you're in for a wild ride. Why? Why would we do that? And I'll finish with this. Why step into this story? It's all good to say, here's how you do it, here's the things to pray for so you can... But if we don't have a why sorted out, we may as well go home. We're wasting our time. Why step into the story? Well, the first one, we know that there is a command in the Scriptures. We know that Great Commission, Matthew 28, and it's, it's repeated in Acts 1. Go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We were asked to do this. And we often look at that and we see it, it's command. But I urge you to swap the glasses over, put on the different lens and see, this isn't command, this is invitation. This is the privilege of stepping into something incredible. But there is a command and the, and the danger, let me flag a danger. The word should is such a bad word in my life. I hate should. I'm just going to be honest with you. I hate the word should. I grew up in a really, really conservative Presbyterian church. And my whole upbringing and my teenage years, they were full of the word should. This is what you should do. If you're this, you should do that. If you believe in this, you should do it this way. Should, 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 should. And I can't stand it. Because should has no freedom attached to it. Colossians, Paul said, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And if the call of God into mission never gets beyond a biblical command that we want to obey, I assure you, you are missing out on all the good stuff. But it is there. The second reason then, what else is there in this? Well, you walk this road and oh, you get to see God at work. Lives saved and transformed. Individuals, marriages, families, communities. I don't know about you, but the more time goes on, I am in grief about the state of the world. It breaks me. I weep with what is going on, with what is happening to children and the families and the women around the world, economically, socially, there is abuse. It's horrible. They need the transformation of God. They need life. They need hope. They need healing that actually only God can bring. And let me assure you that in stepping into the story of God, you get to come into contact with him bringing this to pass. As he brings his kingdom to come in this world, it is something to behold. And it's exciting. But... Okay, I'm going to be contentious again. That is not the best part of mission. 
The best part of mission is to know Jesus. That's it. For all the talking I've done, for all the preaching, I'm going to bring it into this. My friends, I love you enough to tell you this. Nothing is more important than you knowing Jesus. As we send out any worker to any area in the world, I'll say to them, do not miss the best part of mission. And that is Jesus. To know Jesus. When you are asked to step off the edge of the known into the unknown, when you, your life is full of uncertainty and, and the change and, and you're asked to go to random places at crazy times and, and God's got you doing these things that you're just thinking, what on earth is happening? But here's, here's what happens. Suddenly, if he's not your God, you're up the creek. He will take you to places where if he is not sovereign in this world, if he is not the Lord of all, if he is not the creator God, it's over. You've already put all your eggs in the one basket. That's mission. But let me tell you something. He is. He is. He is the living God. Jesus did die and rise again. His spirit does live within you. Isn't this amazing? And when you are in that situation where if that's not true, you're lost, you will not be lost. And you will come to know him and his provision and his power and his activity, not just out there, but in here, in ways that you could have never dreamed of. You will become so much more deeply intimate with him. And you know what? I dare say that every single one of you sitting here, whether you realize it or not, that is your deepest need today knowing Jesus let me finish with the story from my childhood when I was nine or ten I was privileged to grow up in a Christian home and uh, part of what my parents did with us is they took us to a lot of conferences mission conferences Keswick conferences Cape and Ray missionary fellowship conferences so I was privileged to have a lot of great Bible teaching and a lot of missionaries but about, around about nine or ten years of age, I find, found myself getting very resentful because I'd listen to these missionaries time after time after time and they would get up and tell amazing stories. Stories where God was so tangible and so real to them in their life. And as a young man, I didn't have that experience of him. I was jealous. They would talk about him speaking to them in dreams, telling them to go places, and they'd go and amazing things would happen. They saw healings. They saw that transformation that we talked about, and God would speak to them, and they would speak to him, and there was this intimacy. There was this, this personal relationship that I craved, but it felt like I was on the other side of the fence, and I couldn't have it. I knew him here. I didn't know him here. And I, I remember very clearly the hall I was in and the day. I'd had it. I was fed up. And I said, Lord, enough. I want that. I do not want to sit in the chairs for the rest of my life and listen to these stories. Please do whatever you must do to let me be up the front and tell them. And God's been faithful. And I stand here because I want you guys to have the same thing. He's worth it. And you'll never, ever regret. So my question to you today is, how is God asking you to step into his story? You don't have to go to the other side of the world. If you want to, come and speak to me. Because, quite seriously, if God is saying that to you, you need people to walk with you. But that's not dependent on that. It might be going next door, across to a front door that you have never knocked on. It might be the person that you've seen for the last 10 years sitting in the park, going and sitting beside them. 
I don't know what he's asking you to do. But whatever it is, my friends, for the glory of God, for the greatest joy you will ever experience, can I urge you wholeheartedly with your whole being to step into the story. Let's pray. Oh, actually, I think Ian's coming to pray. Is that right? I'm so used to my trigger, let's pray. But uh, amen. Thank you. (laughs) So let's pray together. Father God, this morning, I want to thank you for the message that you have brought to us. I want to thank you for Chris. I want to thank you for the way that he's been able to come here today. He's been here for for other things to do, but he's been here and he's been able to join in with us today and bring us a message that's truly from yourself. I want to thank you for Pioneer Mission and the work that they do around the world, and we just want to pray a blessing on them. We just want to pray, Lord, in the work that they continue to do, uh, week by week, day by day, that you would strengthen the people who are involved in that. Lord, I want to pray too for people who may be either out in the mission field already or preparing to go, that you are speaking to them, you are preparing their hearts and their souls right at this moment. They are doing training, they are doing whatever it else that needs to happen. We just want to pray, Lord, that you would continue this in their lives, that they would be receptive and learning and encouraged, even by this morning. I want to pray for us as a church too. As we as a church, as we have people we are, we are a community of Christians and we are all involved in mission. And as Chris has just said, we need to step into the story. And so when these people that we interact with on a daily or a weekly basis come across our paths, are sitting in our lounges, whatever it is, wherever we are, even in the supermarket aisles, as Chris has said, you know, as we see these people and as our hearts are stirred for what they tell us about themselves and what we can say in response, that you would just give us those opportunities and help us to respond, to speak into their hearts, mm. into their lives. And we as a church too, in terms of mission, that you would help us all to help us as a, a Christian community to be in the right place with the right attitude and listening to yourself as we listen to people and their heart's desire to go serve you as well. And even this morning, as we advertised for somebody to be in a more public role in our church, and people think they can't do it, maybe we all think that we can't do it. But Lord, as you called Philip, and as Philip responded, and as he went down, and as he ran and drew alongside that chariot and then climbed aboard, that you would also help us to climb aboard this morning. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for the message that you brought into our hearts today. We pray a blessing on Chris. And for the others that are here with him, pray, Lord, that you would bless them as they go back to, uh, their, to Auckland again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I just want to do a spoiler alert of two, two gifts I want to leave with you. Um, if you want to have some practical ways to actually just be more aware of what God's doing in his story, as I said, we're just one of many, but there is a table out there and we send out newsletters and all sorts of bits and pieces. We're happy to be the conduit that allows you to have more access to what God's up to. The other thing is, is a gift to your church is, is sitting right here. There is a young lady who you know, Penny, And she's on a really special journey that we've got the privilege of walking on with her. God's called her to serve over in uh, difficult places in the world. I'm going to let her tell you her story when you go and ask her about it. But God's doing things here. You might feel that, uh, well, I don't know what he's asking me to do. That's, That's okay. Pray about that. But go and plug into other parts of the story. And Penny would love to share her story with you and what God's doing because she's the first to acknowledge uh, I'm just uh, kind of on the long for the ride. God's doing some wild stuff. So make sure you utilise Penny's presence among you and uh, I'm sure we'll have further engagement on that in the future. Thanks, Craig. Thanks heaps, Chris.
<clears throat> it's uh, yeah, been hugely encouraging and inspirational this morning, and we're just grateful for you coming and sharing with us. Hey, we just want to invite you to stick around and uh, join us for tea, coffee, refreshments, uh, etc. If you want to talk with someone further, uh, we've got, as Conrad said, a, a prayer team over here in the corner. But we just encourage you, like Chris said, to meet someone new, say good day, and, um, and be, be that difference, share that light, share that life, share that love of Jesus. God bless you heaps. Have a great week. Thanks.